do you sometimes find yourself overwhelmed and really struggling to focus on the things that matter? If you do, then this is the episode for you. Welcome to the Influence and Impact Podcast for Female Leaders. My name's Carla Miller, and I'm a leadership coach who helps female leaders to tackle self-doubt, become brilliant at influencing, and make more impact at work. I've created this podcast to help you to become a more inspiring and impactful leader. And I want to become the leadership BFF you didn't know you were missing until now. It's officially autumn, and I'm sending a massive high five to all the other parents who made it through a summer of juggling work and school summer holidays and are now back into the midst of things in autumn. Um, It feels like a really busy time. Certainly in our business, lots of things were put on pause over the summer. Everyone wants to start their new programs in autumn. We've got an influence and impact cohort coming up uh, next week we're starting. And we've got another Be Bolder cohort coming up in October. So if you're looking to work with me in 2023 and you haven't got around to it yet, do check out my website where you can find details of both of those programs. Um, And I don't know about you, but um, the house felt very busy over the summer holidays and I was looking forward to a little bit of peace and quiet and time to focus, but now it feels a little bit empty without my little person around all of the time. Um, He has just started year one um, and is enjoying being back at school and the new things he's learning, which is great. So it seems like a really timely moment for this fresh new episode. So over the summer, you've been listening to some of my favorite old episodes that I feel are kind of timeless classics, things like having more gravitas dealing with perfectionism, giving feedback upwards, all the sort of things that we cover within my courses. But what we're focusing on today is not something we cover within my courses. It's basically how you deal with overwhelm and how you can train yourself to focus when you need to. And I know this is an issue for people, A, because it comes up a lot. Um, When I start a session, I'll often say, how are you feeling today? What's one word? And there's a lot of overwhelmed, busy, stressed, tired, exhausted. But also I know from looking at our most popular episodes in the past that some of them on overthinking and worry, for example, have been some of the most listened to episodes. So I think you're going to really enjoy this. My guest today is Julia Wolfenden. So Julie is the director and founder of On The Up Consulting. She's an executive coach and she's an author. She creates innovative workforce programs that transform conversations at work, helping people to play to their strengths and fulfill their true potential. She's trained over a thousand leaders and coached CEOs, directors and senior managers across all sectors. And her employee engagement and coaching program has attracted two international training awards. And she has written a book called Five Ways to Focus, which provides insightful ways to help you deal with overwhelm, gain clarity and perspective. I had a great chat with Julia. She introduced me to some really interesting new concepts, um, particularly ways to notice when you're heading towards overwhelm, because sometimes I just find myself there. 
<laughs> and I wonder, how did I get here? And actually, there are some great warning signs along the way. Um, and then she shares five really clear approaches that you can take to get more focused, to get your brain feeling clearer, to help you prioritize, to help you work out where to best spend your limited time and attention. And personally, I think women have a much higher mental load than men a lot of the time, particularly if we have some kind of caring responsibility. Um, we are juggling an awful lot. We say yes to an awful lot. We like to please people. We put other people's needs first. And it can be really, really hard to focus when all of that is going on. So you're going to find this super helpful. It's going to help you get more done and hopefully just enjoy everyday life a bit better as well. So I will roll this episode for you. Um, do feel free to connect with Julia on LinkedIn afterwards if you found this helpful. Um, and as always, drop me a line if you find podcast episodes helpful. I love hearing back from listeners about the difference that the podcasts are making to their working lives. Hi, Julia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Carla. It's great to be with you today. So really excited to talk about your book um, and about overwhelm, which I know is something I struggle with and something a lot of others struggle with. But let's start by hearing a little bit about you. What's your background and how did you come to write your book? My background, so I did a business studies degree and my first job was at Adidas UK. So joining a, a global sports brand was a really exciting thing for me at that young age. And then I went on to be marketing director at Heli Hansen. So I suppose at quite an early age, I had exposure to the corporate world and what it was like to work with uh, professionals and both male and female leaders and have some really inspiring role models and also some ways of learning things the hard way <laughs> and trying to figure things out when perhaps everything wasn't immediately clear to me. And then I went on to different roles at Manchester City Council, so working in the public sector, we have a strong kind of sense of social justice and wanting to help people like, kind of be at their best and great, have great opportunities in their lives. So, And then that led me to my coaching qualification, which I did, and then set up my own consultancy on the up consulting because ultimately I'm really interested in how people think and how people behave and the results they can get when they are at their best. So I feel that the things I've learned along the way have kind of all brought me to this point where I'm training leaders in how to be at their best and get the best out of their people and also writing books about helping people focus and um, get things on the up. I love it. And I really enjoyed, I, I really enjoyed reading the book and recognizing that you were a coach and you're all about people putting things into action. So there was really fantastic coaching questions in there, which I know get people thinking and then actually committing to take action as well. Yeah. Um, so very, very practical book. I love practical books. So what was it that prompted you to write Five Ways to Focus? Well, I think as a self-confessed overthinker, <laughs> and, um, I, I really did reflect on the kind of books that had helped me get where I am and the kind of book I didn't want to write and the kind of book I, I would still like to read, <laughs> as well as thinking about what is it to my clients and to me for 
and really noticing just how busy people are these days and the fact that so many women particularly are juggling, juggling so many things. They might be juggling a career and juggling a home life. Um, they might have children um, and they might also be uh, caring for older adults, people are living longer. So um, women are often really can sometimes feel compromised in how they can be at their best at work or at home and still fulfill, you know, the goals that they have in so many different aspects of their life and still be the kind of person they want to be, serving others, et cetera. So very conscious of people's level of overwhelm, especially with social media as well and this expectation that you might be um, at your best all the time. No one is. So I wanted to help people see where they are at their best, where they've probably not paid attention to that and help them value themselves and also think about where they can put new attention to the things that really do matter to them so they can feel more fulfilled. Fantastic. And how have you structured the book? What's the approach you've taken throughout the book? And that was an important thing, actually. I thought, I'm not going to make this a really long book because this is for people <laughs> who are already <laughs> struggling to get through their, their current reading pile or their current uh, amount of emails or other demands. So I thought, I'm going to make this quite a short book, so I'm going to make it to the point. I'm going to include some big questions. So I divided it into 13 chapters, focusing on different areas that um, we could ask five key, um, introduce five key things to focus on. So how to get things on the up, um, how to take action, um, how to be at your best. Um, but in each chapter, I structured it around an, in an introduction, some explanations and um, some context and a big question. So what is it that you're looking for, for example? And then some insight questions that will help people reflect. So you can use it like a workbook and really think things through for yourself. And I really do challenge people to, to move to action based on what their new perspective is on answering those questions. Brilliant. And um, one of the key things that came out for me was this idea of change points and boiling points, because those are phrases I've not really heard before, but I thought it was a really interesting way to look at that. So can you tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah, so that just came to me when I was writing the book, because I think there's so... There's things that we're reacting to all the time and um, change points will be more when a something is happening in your situational context. So maybe you reached a milestone birthday. So that's a natural change. Yeah. Um, or maybe your family dynamic has changed. So maybe their children have left home and gone to university or your youngest child, your young child has started, started nursery and you, you found you've got time now to think about you or, or maybe you've gone through divorce and actually need to re help really have a, um, a rethink about your finance or your home situation. And change, so change points is that when the change is kind of coming to you. You know what I mean? You're experiencing a change around you. It's coming to you. Whereas boiling points are when we've, things have been happening that have kind of been brewing and we've not paid attention to them. Or um, so it might that feeling of unease and unsettled, feeling unsettled at work and knowing that perhaps you do need to do something about this. Maybe this is a time to go for promotion. Maybe this is a time to look for a different role. Maybe this. And um, if you sit around and the next restructure leaves you out, what's that going to be like? So the boiling point is knowing that something is um, 
it's something that you could do something about, but you've perhaps been paying attention to it. But that really resonates with me. And I think this idea that boiling, because it takes a while for you catch yeah. for example, doesn't it? And we rarely wake up one day from being completely happy the previous day to I'm ready to make a change. Like all of those big changes and decisions, they rumble along for quite yeah. a long time, don't they? Until they reach the point where you're like, okay, I actually don't want this to continue anymore. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How might you recognize, because I guess ideally you want to start taking action before you're actually at boiling point, don't you? So how might you recognize that you're heading towards a boiling point? Yeah, so I, I, I deal with that in the book, in, in asking those insightful questions and um, and just thinking about that actually as examples through my coaching practice. I remember asking a, um, a client um, in the, um, last week, what do you know to be true now that will be even more true in six months' time. And it's that knowing yourself and what are you ignoring, not paying attention to, what is important to you that actually is going, if you don't take action or if you don't give it some attention, it's kind of kind of bite you kind of bite you on the bum in six months. And you kind of knew that was going to happen. <laughs> so it's it is that call to action. It's that what do you really know to be true now? And if you don't do anything about that, what's going to happen in six months? Yeah, I think that taking that long-term view is so important, isn't it? I remember way before I trained as a coach, I discovered Tony Robbins' books. I mean, now I'm not totally sure on some of his attitudes towards women in particular, but some of the things he was saying just completely rocked my world. And I remember one of them, it was a question along the same lines of, if this is still the same in a year's time, what, you know, yeah. what does that look like? And it's those things where you go, okay, well, it'll get better on its own. It will improve. And you just sit in it for a long time, don't you? And that question that you've asked really helps crystallize the fact that if you don't make the change, probably nothing is going to change. That's right. And that idea is throughout the book, really, which is if you were to choose five, well, the book kind of prompts you in five ways to focus, five things to focus on in each chapter, which make you recognize what is important. And then those calls to action around, okay, now you know those things are important. Specifically, what could you do? And if you didn't, what what, what might happen or what might not happen? And so it's that real sense of enabling ownership, you know, and people have said, I'm, I'm a cheerleader for people. I really am because... Um, I believe everybody has this resourcefulness inside. And then one of the key phrases I use is, you know, to, to dig for gold, you've got to believe it's there. So um, it is there. It's within everybody. Everybody has strengths and talents and abilities. Um, but often our focus is going towards um, supporting other people's priorities, other people's um, objectives, and maybe they're better at getting support for theirs. And we are at noticing what it is that matters to us. And, and if life passed us by and it was all missed opportunity, we, we might feel pretty sore about that. Um, or we might not, but this is the, this is the question, really. <laughs> and I think it happens a lot, doesn't it, at, at various change points, including that one you talked about where um, children are leaving home. Mm-hmm. You've put them first for so long yeah. and then they've literally flown the nest not that they don't still need you. I've been home many, many, many times since officially. <laughs> exactly. Um, yes. But, but that, in a different way. Exactly. But that idea that particularly like as a parent, your life is shaped around your children and then that changes shape 
completely. Yeah. Um, I know certainly that hit my mum quite hard at that point um, and, and led to lots of questioning. So I, I can totally see how the book is really relevant at those change points in particular. So yes, about overwhelm. Mm. What do we mean by overwhelm? When you talk about it, what do you have in mind? Well, I say it's like um, it's like having a head full of bees and you can't see the woods for the trees. <laughs> you know, there's that many thoughts buzzing about. And um, we probably don't know which thoughts are important. And that, that's, again, a, a question that I ask people in coaching. Which of these things are quality thoughts? And often... People who are overwhelmed don't sleep well, so it has a really negative effect in their ability to to show up well in their different roles and their different responsibilities. It also has a you know that that health effect as well, and not sleeping well actually you know, um, has a negative effect on the body, not just your mental health and well-being. Um, so overwhelm can be just the idea of um, distraction, um, not knowing what to pay attention to, but knowing there is a lot going on. Um, and also that sense of needing to keep up. And sometimes it's the comparison factor, needing to keep up with everybody else who else, who seems to be just nailing it. They're not. <laughs> They're just really good at curating that message. <laughs> um, Social media is just the worst for that, isn't it, as well? Like, I feel fine just so I hang out on Instagram or LinkedIn. Like, I am a failure at lines. Oh, yeah. I'm very, very minimal with my... Um, social media engagement and much more interested in um, in the now and in the real human interaction and experiences that are valuable to me so but I think it's so difficult for people that overwhelm does come from the um um those algorithms that are at work telling us what to pay attention to you know they're they're telling us what we're interested in and even if you've had a scant glance at something, it will try to get your attention to that again because you it will have recognised how your your eyeballs responded. So in a way, we lose a sense of what was it again that I was really interested in. That's why you find yourself go down a rabbit hole when you on social media because it's t- trying to tell you all the time what to be interested in, and we lose that sense of self that actually what's important to me. Yeah, we do your attention is so important isn't it and we just lose it when we go on yeah. social media, we enter like a time abyss like a black <laughs> hole and suddenly like i did that this morning and i was like half an hour has gone i mean such a time thing yeah i could have been doing so i could have been meditating like i said <laughs> i've got time to scroll social media for like half an hour in the morning and check my emails and stuff it's like what are you doing for me the overwhelm comes in in, in two forms mainly um before I really, really streamlined my work, it would come by looking at my to-do list. Yeah. There being just so much on there that I would go into a bit of a panic of, like, I don't even know where to start. I can't start anywhere because my head is just full of the to-do yeah. list. And then at the other end, for me, the place I get overwhelmed now is when I try and make plans for, like, five, ten years' time and look at finances and the business and then... Sure. Again, it's all these different agendas floating around of all the things you should try and do. Um, yeah. And that feels overwhelming. And then I have to kind of take a real step back and come back to what's important yeah. to me. And your book helps people to do that, doesn't it? It does. So the, the principle in that that uh, chapter three, um, you know, um, 
is is around five things. The five things that you could focus on to reduce that level of overwhelm, and um, which is called finding focus when you need it most. So just like you've described. And those five things are dealing with distraction, delegation, prioritization, organization, and automation. So the idea of distraction is what we've talked about, you know, all those reasons why we might be distracted. Um, and, you know, our, sometimes our sense of busy is really fulfilling on a level to us. And um, we use it to, the term so lightly, if you just say, how are you, and say, I'm busy without really thinking what is the impact of that busyness. So I talk about beware of busy because it's something that we can be in the state of without recognising the negative impact we might be having. Conversely, it might be something we really pride ourselves on and have a lot of self-worth connected to the idea of being busy. So the idea of not being busy might then, for some of us, feel like not being important and that's where we've kind of tipped the balance away from what is important and how do we spend our time and attention on those things to busy being the only thing that makes us important. I really like that. I, I think I used to spend a lot of time being busy and say yes to lots of things and also yeah. just like lots of, I find lots of things interesting. Like I would have been a trustee of five different charities at the moment. Yeah. And in reality, I don't have time to be a trustee of any charity and run my business and solo parent my child and et cetera. And it's really, really, really hard to say yeah. no, not follow those. Weird I even start having the exploratory conversations <laughs> before I'm like, no, like <laughs> focus on what's important. But we, many of us are interested in so many different things as well, mm. like that variety. That's so well. true. So the underlying principle behind that and it, the questions tease out some of that, but it might be that say yes less is a really proactive thing to do for yourself. Um, and if we, we like to people, please, that, that might feel difficult, but think who you will be pleasing as a result, like you say, more able to please your family or more able to please yourself. And when you please yourself, Actually, you show up so much better for all those other things that you are wholeheartedly committed to, not just light touch interested. And and I share your sentiments completely um, because I am a over natural over enthusiast, but <laughs> could easily be involved in many, many more things. But I have to focus. Once you've written a book called Five Ways to Focus, you just have to. <laughs> um, so I think that's it. It's kind of holding yourself to account and being okay with saying yes less because valuing the impact that you can have, the depth rather than the breadth. You know, so being a trustee of one and two charities, but really being able to commit to that in a really fabulous way rather than spread so thin that you think, ah, oh, I need to be able to do more of this, but there isn't more time. I think the other thing, sorry, you picked up is, is that it's something I've referenced in the book, which is the the, the to-do list. And um, it's a great place to start a to-do list. But I think that sense of um, prioritization is really important. And um, I have a little question that I ask myself, and if not you, who, that whole idea as well of delegation, you know, if it if if you're not getting to it, or if you think you're not going to get to it, who else, you know, who else could do it as well as you, or even nearly as well as you, which would be enough to move into the next stage. So that delegation is an important part of being able to focus on the things that actually only you can do, and only you can do really well. Um, 
and uh, organisation, well, if if there is not time in the diary to do it, if it, so every time I come up with a task, if it can't be allocated to a time in the diary, it isn't going to get done. And that's like the grim reality. <laughs> but it is something we need to be really mindful of. So we can always keep adding to the to-do list, but unless that to-do list actually gets um, entered into the calendar as an action um, or some sort of commitment as a follow-up, it, it, it won't happen. So sometimes we need to think about the what do we let that go of? Um, and then also what can we automate? There's so many apps out there if we choose to use them, if we like that kind of way of doing things um, or even just uh, ways of handling the, you know, the out of office. I think you had a great out of office, which really personalised. <laughs> you said you were busy helping, you were busy, you couldn't get to your emails because you were having fun with your, young, with your young, young son and it's the school holidays. Quite right. And I just think that being able to automate that, I think people really think carefully about how do they reply to that or not and come back to you a week or so later or figure it out for themselves. So I do think all those different automatic responses or, or apps that we can use to take some of the repeat work and um, repeat tasks and um, chunking things up as well, doing things in one go. If you hate doing your admin, do it all in one go. <laughs> Um, you know, on a day that, you know, you've got time and you've got energy or doing chunks um, rather than a bit here, a bit there, or constantly add it to the list, but don't ever commit to the time slot where it can happen. And it sounds like you use some kind of system with your diary to allocate your tasks. How do you, <laughs> how do you do that? Well, well organising things, don't they? Yeah, so it's multicolored coaching session, a training session. It's in one color. Um, everything that is um, uh, in another color will be things that I know I need to do. So tasks. So I'll slot those in between coaching sessions, for example. Um, anything that I know is a deadline, like do my VAT return. That's in there. That's in another color. That's like red. <laughs> the things don't get missed. Have to be done by certain dates. Um, and my CPD. That's in another color. So I can see at a glance, have I got the balance right? All the stuff that's in green is home stuff. That's in the same calendar. I have one calendar, but everything's color-coded. And I can see the balance between how much flexibility have I got um, because the things that are in my my work color um, I, uh, that are not movable, they're there. So I can see what's the space in between. Um, so I can then think about how do I use my time the rest of that day. And I also do the commitment to myself is three days a week as a recurring appointment, ideal day. That's in there. And that might mean that I'll start the day with some yoga or I'll go to Tai Chi at lunchtime. And that is in as a recurring. So I will be mindful all that day that I have to do something from my ideal day list to make sure, even if it's a busy day, there are still some of the things that restore and rejuvenate and keep me going that I'm committing to doing. That's a really nice idea to do that. And in the working day as well, I've done mine slightly differently in that I start at 10 so that I can go for a run yes. first. Yes. It works if I've got a chilled out appointment at 10. If I'm running a workshop at 10, you've got to prep, but also my face is still bright red. <laughs> I can't drop my start off till nine. So by the time you've run, stretched, had a shower, <laughs> it's a bit tight. Yes. Yeah, I've tried to do that. And also I recognized I just needed a bit of 
downtime. I call it my get shit done day. So I basically have meetings Monday to Wednesday, normally not in school holidays. Thursday is my get shit done day. So that's where I can just get my head down and do stuff. Often the podcast is recorded last minute on a Thursday. We're <laughs> ahead this week. This is Monday. <laughs> we are so ahead. Well, we're, we're recording for autumn in the summer holidays. Amazingly ahead. Um, and then I take Fridays technically off. I will quite often work if it's not a sunny day. Um, but that's by my choice doing things. It feels so I rather than try and get a bit of ideal day in every day, I've just tried to make half the week feel much more spacious. Yeah. I feel more in control of it. We all have our different preferences, don't we? But I think the key thing is you can use your calendar to create freedom for yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's it. It's that you use your calendar for that. So I think the more that you put into your calendar, that are the things that you want. And again, a real intention and commitment to yourself. Um, you know, uh, often I think we hear about people whose calendar is open to everybody and everybody's always putting stuff in there. So I think, well, there's less chance of them putting stuff in there. If you've already safeguarded time, like you say, safeguard it till 10, uh, the morning up until 10 o'clock or, you know, safeguard from three o'clock, anything that you can do to set those, I guess, boundaries really around what you're available for and when. Um, the idea of an open calendar to me fills me with dread. Um, <laughs> but on the times when it has been open, I've just made sure that I've got my things in there first. Um, otherwise, when do we get to do those things that we now need to make? We need to make them happen. Um, there will always be things other people will demand of us. And it'll just lead to frustration if we haven't been able to prioritize some of our stress. Yes. And I, I love say yes less. Um, I can already see that I'm going to pull that out as a social media quote. Well, I'm talking <laughs> about it. it rhymes. We're going to be able to remember that. Yeah. Find it hard to say no. So lots of people listening will be in busy roles in the corporate or public or nonprofit sector. And they're, a lot of their overwhelm they might think is happening from outside of them. Like there's lots of work coming at them. Yeah. What advice could you give them? I think um, give yourself some space to think about how. So your first response might be to please and which is the yes part. Um, so not for it not to be an immediate, yes, I'll do that. More of a yes, I'm interested. Um, yes, that sounds good. Yes. I think I'd like to be involved. I'd need to know more. And think about what is the question that follows up. So as soon as we just as soon as we say yes and we and there's an inclination then for that other person to then think, great, it's handed over. But if we ask more questions to fully understand what's the scope of that, and um, how how much time would I need to give to that if I was to take that on? It means the other person will need to do some thinking about what are they really asking you to do. And you can still do your decision making around whether or not you would do that. I can do I can do I can remember saying and doing that myself um in my last job. I was asked to do something which was clearly something nobody wanted to do. And I it was actually as well quite at odds. The way they wanted it to do was quite at odds with my values. <laughs> And I actually had to be coached on how I was going to say no, <laughs> which um, is 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 great because um, I'm I'm great at coaching other people on that now too. <laughs> you know, we learn, don't we, through what we've got to experience for ourselves. 
Um, but I can remember my instinct was to say yes, even though in my heart I knew it was the wrong thing for me to be involved in and that is the wrong way of doing things. So I did actually go back and say, actually, I don't think that I'm the right person for that. And given I've got to do this, this and this, I probably wouldn't be able to help you as much as you'd like. And that had never been in my realm of thinking until I'd had some coaching on that. I would have been the try-hard person and the please people person would take it on anyway and figure it out. <laughs> so I think that's it. I think say yes less, but say if your instinct is to say yes, if it's always to say yes, think about how and ask more about what would be involved and ask for the time to consider when you've considered it against all your other priorities. Yeah. And so just going back to the phrases you use then, could you repeat some of those? So you said, yes, I'm interested or okay. yes, I'm uh, what was the phrase after that? That uh, someone could just hear, yes, I'm interested and go, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, I'm interested. Could you outline for me how much time that might require or how much commitment would you need from me for that? Or yes, I'm interested and need to consider it against my other priorities. Could you explain it in a bit more detail for me? Or um, or even yes, that sounds good, which doesn't include you. It's just an agreement that sounds a great idea. <laughs> so that's, that's a little bit more of a step removed. So it's kind of keeping the door open, but you've not, you've not put your name down. <laughs> and just making sure they understand that, I guess, because I think people, if they're used to you saying yes to everything, might just read that as a... Absolutely. Yes. And back to boundaries again. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and, and I like the fact that you went back because I think what happens a lot, I know from coaching and I know from my own experience, you say yes to something and immediately after you've said it, you think, oh, why did I say yes to that? Now I've got to actually go and do it. But you think that you're stuck with it from there. But you yeah. can go and renegotiate just like Absolutely. You yeah, absolutely you can renegotiate it. And even to the point of saying, um, you know, thanks for considering me. Um, I can see what I could bring to it. When I've considered it, though, um, there is quite a lot required in the first phase, and that's that's when I'm really busy. However, in the second phase, that's when I'll have a bit more time. And we look at that instead. You know, really do some thinking around what could your contribution be? And why is it important that you have any contribution whatsoever? You know, um, is it just the please people? Um, again, a bit that and it, again, back to that, if not you, who? If you were to say no, is there someone else that's actually, it could be a great development opportunity for them? And you might stand in, in the way of that for them. Delegation is such a fantastic way of developing people. And most people Isn't don't really it? Yeah. doing to someone else. And it's like, well, no, it can be a fantastic opportunity to develop. I think I was going to say that is so true. Sorry, but uh, Louise Bond, who's um, the editor in my book, she's a fabulous copywriter now and, and has, has, has got set up and gone freelance. And we worked together um, when we were both at Manchester City Council. And once I asked her to read over a blog I'd written, and what she brought to that was just fantastic. And it made me realize what her editing skills were and her, you know, her way of um, I think about restructuring um, things and I just thought, wow, that's great. And that was all because I just kind of delegated and <laughs> asked for her input. 
And uh, yeah, it's a great way of developing people. It's also a great way of recognizing what other people have got to offer without always just thinking it has to be yours. Definitely. I, I think, well, I was going to share the story of someone I was coaching recently and they had people coming to them for work, with, with work that wasn't actually in their remit. And previously they've been saying yes to it. So coached her on how to say yes less often and mm-hmm. how to say no. Um, but what was really interesting is what I do, and I see so many women doing, is someone comes to us with a problem. They try and hand the problem or the task to us. and We can't do it. And instead of just handing it back to them, we take it and go, I'll well, find someone else. Or you need to find this person and this person. And it's like we've literally just taken the responsibility from them. So even when we're not doing the task, we somehow make it our responsibility to solve this problem, to provide the information, to point them in the right direction. Uh, you see that happening a lot. I do see that. And uh, your words really resonate with me because when I'm doing um, training people who working in, org- in organizations around how to have different conversations with their people, um, which is around using a coaching approach, they'll say, people come to me with problems. So when I say to them, don't coach around a problem, coach around an outcome. So they'll come to them with a problem and I'll say to them, ask them what they want to be better or different. Rather than you going through your mind palace thinking, what can I offer it by way of a solution? Or how long, or shall I take this on for them, hold it and find someone to solve it for them, like you've just said. So I think that's it. You can say that with such empathy and consideration and genuine interest to the other person by saying, I hear you. I can see why that's a problem for you. What would you like to be better? What would you like to change? What would you like to be different? And then you just expand in that conversation then without without assuming the role as um solution finder, fixer, problem solver, <laughs> which always comes from a place of kindness. But have you got capacity? Yes, definitely. And I, I used to talk about in terms of leaders, I don't really talk about it so much anymore. But how, as as managers and leaders, quite often we find ourselves spoon feeding the people that yes. we work with. Like they'll come with a question, and because we know the answer, we think, "Well, it's just quicker to give them mm-hmm. the answer." But actually, what we're teaching them is it's much quicker and easier to get Carla to do it than it is to do it myself. And it's like spoon feeding your baby. Like there's definitely a point where you're like, "Well, this is definitely less messy, and I could just keep doing this, fifteen, <laughs> yeah. and I'd still be feeding him." Yeah. No. I really don't like mess but uh, it's it's the same thing and so I always say to them like when someone comes to you that is used to you spoon feeding them the first question to ask them is well what are your thoughts on this or what have you thought so far what have you tried and if you do that enough then they will ask themselves that question before they even get to you and answer it for themselves and start saving you time but at some point you've got to break the spoon feeding habit haven't you or the absolutely that's right that dependency model doesn't serve either party particularly well it should be a very adult adult arrangement at work Um, and I think sometimes it's like being true to ourselves and recognizing that it might be meeting a need in us to be helpful Um, but what capacity have you got to be that helpful with everybody that comes with their stuff and it does it mean that it's impacting the stuff that you had prioritized for yourself that now is taken second billing. Um, and what does that do to your sense of worth? What does that do to your level of overwhelm? What does that do to the um the chances that you have to progress and and perform in, in the things that that matter to you? 
So, um, yeah, I would say it comes from a good place, but absolutely, like you, you say, it's that um, just being able to make that switch between that dependency and that helpfulness and make sure it's um, it, it's in the right balance with the right people at the right time. And that's such a good point about what does it do for your your promotability and your mm-hmm. opportunities. We had um, Jodie Flynn, who's got her own podcast, Women Taking the Lead, on the show ages ago. And one of the things she said is actually being indispensable at your level and solving all the problems makes you less promotable, yeah. not promotable, because they can't imagine that function without you. Without, yeah. They think that you're completely dependent on you and you can't get a successor. And yeah. I think what's important to recognize is like, someone might be listening to this and thinking, well, people are just used to me doing that mm-hmm. now. But you can change, can't you? And that's what the, the book is really great for helping you think about why are you doing things in that way and to think yeah. differently and see different potential futures. Yeah, and that's it because we can all get into um, mental models and thinking habits. And sometimes it is, it's just having that kind of, oh, and it might be a point of resentment or feeling undervalued or feeling unsupported where you get that point where you feel, hang on a minute, I'm being taken for a ride here. Well, one might have been absorbed for promotion. And the if the tendency is to externally blame and say, I'm not being given opportunities or um, you know, there's no chances for me or people see me like this. Um, what the book does do is really help you, you bring it back to you, like I said, that big goal to go, what is it that's inside you that you've not been showing <laughs> because you've been doing this instead or you've been underplaying these other elements of yourself. So, yeah, the questions are designed to tap back into, again, what's important to you? How can you really shine through and show yourself at your best? Um, because otherwise we might have a tendency to blame the situations, blame the context, blame everybody else, but blaming doesn't change the game really and um, it's being able to look within yourself and see what have I got that I can draw on and how can I use that differently and I do think you're right that people perhaps hold back from doing some of that because they think oh people aren't ex- going to expect that from me but just what's more important that they show up consistently or that they show up at their best mm-hmm. and I think any organization would value people showing up at their best and I think most individuals would value more showing them showing up more at their best. Um, but the consistency might be hard, hard to break. Um, so people worry that, oh, I wouldn't be being authentic. It's like, we would be. You'd actually be being more authentic than you've ever been <laughs> because you'd be showing all sides of your abilities and your potential and you'd be standing in your truth rather than standing in this version of yourself that has become very convenient to others and is is not the full picture and that might feel scary to people listening <laughs> but it's incredibly empowering and exciting and that's where people's true potential really lies i think that's so true i was coaching someone recently and she was talking about various situations and then she would tell me what she really thought and what she wanted to happen. But I was the only one who was hearing it. And I was like, why am I the only person seeing this version of you that says exactly yeah. what she thinks? You know, you're not saying it aggressively, but you're just saying exactly what you think and just helping her to recognize it's okay to show that to the rest yeah. of the world. That, point, that side of you that is clear and knows you don't want to do that or knows this isn't the right way forward. Mm-hmm. 
exactly like you said, that is authentic. And sometimes it's just scary, like you said, yes. bring that yeah. to the world or communicating in a way perhaps you haven't communicated before because you've couched everything really carefully to avoid being seen as anything other than super positive and super helpful all mm -hmm. the time. Um, brilliant. Now, one thing I was going to ask you is there's a lot in your book. What's one thing from the book that you wish you had known or worked out much earlier in your career? Um, well, I, th I think it's that thing that no matters to me and I think perhaps um, there were definitely periods where I kind of got sucked into this idea that it was going to be better in the end but trusted too much of other people's um, put too much faith in other people's planning for me when I think I've always been a very sort of self-motivated person and I think I took a a, a step back it's over a number of years where I kind of believed this, this promise of there'll be a restructure and then there'll be this opportunity. It's like that opportunity never came. And really, because this restructure took four years rather than one year, you know, <laughs> that was just working in the bubble. It's the, you know, things go very slowly in some departments and some, some public sector organizations. So I think I, um, I put too much uh, uh, trust in other people's um, ability to kind of plan and move things at the pace that I wanted to work at. And it made me realise that, and it had served me well previously, and it's served me well since, it made me realise and remember that when I want things to happen, I can make them happen. But when I wait for the people to make the things that they think I would find useful happen, it leads to frustration and resentment. <laughs> so I kind of came back to myself and go, hang on, you always wanted this. When are you going to make that bit happen? And that's why I thought, you know what, I knew I was always going to have my own brand. I knew I was going to be, um, I was doing my coach training and consulting. And I thought, now's the time just to make this happen now because I've said it, I've heard this quote before, it, you know, what's this thing you can't go a day without thinking about? Do that. And um, yeah, that that's really helped me going back to the, go pay attention to what you can't go without thinking about. What's your way to make that happen? Fantastic. Um, and if people want to find out more about you, um, obviously they can buy the book in any major bookstore or online but if they want to find out more about you where can they go yeah so they can buy the book and um, it, it's available it's kindle five ways to focus by julia wolfendale it's on amazon it's kindle or as paperback and um, but they can also uh, look on my website so uh, it's julia wolfendale but it, the website is on the upconsulting.com and uh, contact me on there i'd be happy to chat to people about and uh, what it is they might be looking for and uh, do a lot of one-to-one -one coaching um, and run workshops as well for organizations and trade managers. So, um, yes, be happy for anyone who wants to reach out. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for sharing your insights with us and your time. Like I said, I think it's a super practical book. It's very much, it covers lots of things. Um, like if you're looking at life coaching and maybe you can't afford a coach or you want to start with some thinking on your own, it's such a great place 
to start to think about what's important to you. So recommend that um, and do follow Julia on socials where she is on socials. Go and look up her website and buy the book. Thanks, Julia, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you so much. It's been great to be with you. Thanks, Carla. Now, just before we finish up this episode, when I was interviewing Julia, I was really tempted to ask her to share with us on the episode a visualization that she has in the book, um, which I think is a really lovely visualization, but I didn't want to put her on the spot on when we were recording. So I said that to her afterwards and she has kindly provided a link to the visualization. So it's a visualization that can help you feel calm in the moment. It's lovely and short. Um, it's very relaxing. And so in the show notes, you will find a link to that visualization. And I hope you enjoy it. If you enjoyed this episode, please do go into your podcast player, whichever one it is, and hit follow or subscribe. That means that you'll get every episode delivered to your device and it also tells the podcast platforms that this is a podcast worth listening to. Um, so head over now and hit follow or subscribe today.